0: Good morning. Hey. I've had no luck with the mics this morning. Hey, so here's the deal. Somehow yesterday I was able to sprain my ankle. And then and then I injured my back participating in that extreme sport called sleeping last night. <laughs> so so I'm just going to sit here and try not to hurt myself preaching anymore. I'm, I'm guessing when I go to the doctor this week, the diagnosis is going to be getting old. Um, but yeah, welcome. So uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill. Pastor Dave and Amy and the kids are gone on a, a well-deserved vacation. Um, but bef- Before we get started, um, I do want to touch base on something, uh, one thing in particular, and um, that is an email Dave sent out last Sunday after the service. I don't know if you can go back a week ago. Um, and what I wanted to say is this there are very few people in this world whose giftings are only exceeded by their humility. And Pastor Dave is one of them. I am truly blessed to call him my friend. And, gang, we are truly blessed to have him as our lead pastor. But enough with the bromance. (laughs) We're going to continue our justice series this morning. And what I want to do this morning is I want to shift our focus just a little bit with this question. How do we respond when we are the ones in need of justice? What if injustice has or is being committed against us? Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When injustice is is committed against myself or my family, my natural reaction is, I want to fight, I know this because I know what's going on in my own heart. But I also know this based on the movie choices I like to make when Bethany and I actually have time to watch a movie together. Now, when Bethany suggests a movie, Typically, the movie involves characters that look a little bit like this. (laughs) (laughs) They they are overcoming some kind of obstacle to find each other and to fall in love and live happily ever after. Now, when I suggest a movie, typically the characters look a little bit more like this. And typically the plot revolves around a guy who's had injustice committed against him taking justice into his own hands. Now, as we continue and and we look at injustice today, I want to make sure we differentiate it from something I would call a slight, okay? As in this week, someone cut in front of you at Starbucks, okay? Not injustice, Or you were driving here this morning and someone cut you off on the freeway and you started dreaming about having a rocket launcher on your car. (laughs) Again, not injustice. What I'm talking about is real injustice. And you know when it happens because it wounds you deeply. And sometimes you carry those wounds your whole life. And I think some of you are familiar with what I'm talking about. Now, what I want to do is I want to stop right here and make a disclaimer. This isn't going to be a light sermon, all right? That's not lost on me. I'm going to be vulnerable, and I'm going to be honest. But there's just really no way for us to appropriately discuss injustices committed against us and committed against our brothers and sisters in this room in some kind of lighthearted, silly way, okay? So bear with me. There are a few moments in my life I would consider that I experienced true injustice. One of those moments was when I was in middle school. I attended a small private school and in the seventh grade decided to sign up for photography class with all of my friends who had taken photography the year before and loved it. Immediately after I started that class, the teacher started to compliment me about what a great photographer I was. For an insecure middle school boy, it meant a lot to me. I started dreaming about how I could be the next Ansel Adams, or even better, work for Sports Illustrated. In fact, even as I studied for this sermon... I realize I still think of myself as a good photographer based on what he said to me all those years ago. But friends, the reality is I'm not. But being that I was good at photography, according to him back then, he invited me to his house with the other boys that were also good at photography. The others had gathered at his house before, but it was my first time. That Saturday, we came to his house to learn how to develop film. Now, if you're a millennial, you don't know what that means, right? (laughs) But you used to have to develop film. And he said, because it was my first time at his house, I thought I got to go into the dark room first to learn how to develop film with him. And man, when I walked into that room, it was dark. I then remember him quickly saying things to me, an adult should never, ever say to a child. After that, I just remember moving for the door as fast as I could saying, I need to call my mom. And then minutes later, being in the car with my mom on the way home. I would say nothing happened to me that day because physically nothing did happen to me. But I would also say it was during that time in my life that the the joyful innocence of childhood left me forever. I remember the next day seeing my mother on the phone crying, talking to one of my friend's mothers. Apparently, after my mom shared what had gone on, the other moms started asking their boys questions, and the answers they were hearing were horrifying. This man had apparently abused my friends. It was reported to the authorities and to the school, but there were many who just wanted to keep it quiet. I could sense that as a child, and it was difficult for me. Now, many years passed, and each of those friends' lives seemingly fell apart. And in my mind, it was because of what was done to them those years, many years ago. True injustice that caused deep, deep wounds. Many years later, I was back home from college and out to lunch. I remember leaving the restaurant, getting in my truck, looking in the rearview mirror to back out. And there in my mirror, walking behind me, was an old man. He looked like a very vulnerable old man. And I realized quickly, it was the same man that had ruined the lives of each of my middle school buddies. He was old now and weak. But I was no longer a young boy. I was a 20-year-old college rugby player. Who was six foot three and a little bit fitter than I am now. And I remember thinking, the time for justice is now. The power differential has shifted. No longer was he the adult trying to exploit me as a weak young boy. I had the power now, and I could get justice and nobody would know. All I had to do was get out of my truck and make it happen. And then I remember hearing a whisper in my heart. Justice is mine. At that moment, I knew who was speaking to my heart. And so I stayed in my truck and I drove away. Friends, sometimes my flesh still cries out for justice against that man. As I see the devastating impact of what he has done to my friends on their Facebook pages. But I also know that many in this room, in our church family, carry the wounds of injustice and experiences that far exceed anything I have experienced. Today, I want us to open God's word, and together look specifically at the life of a man named King Hezekiah, who himself faced injustice, and see what we can learn from his life to answer the question, how do we respond when we are the ones in need of justice? Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah? It's in the Old Testament, chapter 36. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Or feel free to follow along on the screen behind me. And we're actually going to be in chapter 36 and 37. So we're going to be moving quickly. And what I want to look at specifically are three lies that we often hear when injustice is being committed against us, that are the same lies King Hezekiah experienced and heard. And then I want to look at three of his responses to that injustice. But we have a lot to cover, and I know Dave has authorized them to turn the snow machine on me again if I go too long. So let's get started. King Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, Now, if you know anything about the kings in Israel during that time, you know, to put it simply, it was an absolute gong show, okay? Many, many unrighteous kings mixed in with a few righteous ones. But King Hezekiah was one of the righteous kings. Now, at the beginning of chapter 6, the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, had conquered all the fortified cities of Judah, And the Assyrian army, they were marching towards King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. King Hezekiah and Judah Judah had been ruthlessly attacked by this ancient superpower, and injustice was occurring. Now, just so you understand the power differential between Assyria and Judah, it would be similar to us in the U.S. deciding we were going to attack Fiji, okay? Because we went on free vacations. And when the Assyrians attacked and conquered a city, it was vicious. The atrocities they committed were horrific. I will spare the details, but for Assyria, it was not enough to simply conquer someone. They wanted to inflict as much pain and injustice as they could on those they conquered. And because they were so powerful and so strong, they could inflict a lot. But as they were marching towards Jerusalem, King Sennacherib sent his field commander known as the Rabshakeh to engage King Hezekiah. Or more accurately, to inflict as much terror and horror on King Hezekiah as he possibly could to get him to surrender to the coming injustice. Now the Rabshakeh uses lots of, of threats to inflict terror, but he also tells a lot of lies to King Hezekiah that are lies many of us here when we are experiencing injustice. So let's begin. We're going to be in chapter 36, verse 4, and follow along with me. The field commander said to them, "'Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, "'the king of Assyria, says. "'On what are you basing this confidence of yours? "'You say you have counsel and might for war, "'but you speak only empty words. "'On whom are you depending?' That you rebel against me. Look how you are depending on Egypt. Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, We are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, You must worship before this altar? Let's stop there. Hezekiah did remove the altars in the high places up in the hills. But that wasn't because he wanted to prevent his people from worshiping God. But he wanted them to worship where God asked for them to worship, which was in Jerusalem, in the temple. But Sennacherib didn't know this. He just wanted to manipulate Hezekiah. And there you have it. One of the lies we often hear when we're experiencing injustice. It's your fault this is happening to you. Didn't you bring this on yourself, Hezekiah? It's your fault you were abused as a child. It's your fault your husband has abandoned you for another woman. It's your fault your father walked out on you as a child. You name the injustice. This is one of the most common lies we hear. Either from the the person inflicting injustice against us, those around us are straight from the enemy. Friends, I think our Heavenly Father wants you to hear these words today. It's not your fault. It's not your fault injustice was inflicted upon you. One of my f- closest friends years ago revealed that he had been living a secret life. And one day upped and left his wife, one of Bethany's closest friends. And I remember her feeling so confused as he tried to convince her that it was somehow her fault that he left to go be with another woman. And I remember her actually asking us, is this true? Was she a perfect spouse? No, none of us are perfect. But the injustice she was going through was not her fault. Now this leads us to our second lie. Would you look at verse 8 with me? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. Now he's just mocking King Hezekiah. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Here's Sennacherib actually tells King Hezekiah God told him to take over Judah. And that is the second lie God has turned his back on you. And it might be the most damaging lie of them all, because spiritually it impacts us, because it causes us to question the character of our Heavenly Father. Friend, whatever injustice you have been through, abuse, neglect, Violence, abandonment, whatever it is, be certain of this. God hates it. He did not endorse it, nor did he command it. And he did not turn his back on you. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. A friend shared with me a post he saw a few months ago. It said, my God is a God of mercy who never hates, never judges, and always blesses. Friends, I get the spirit of what that person is trying to say, but I disagree with the content. Specifically, never hates. Eye-catching bumper sticker, trendy social media post, horrible theology. God's word makes it clear he actually does hate certain things, and he should. A good father should hate the injustice committed against his children. And friend, your father hates the injustice committed against you. Finally, the third lie. Read with me beginning in verse 13. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of of, the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says Make peace with me and come out. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come to take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do you see that third lie in the passage when the king of Assyria tries to persuade the people to make peace with him? The third lie is, this is what is best for you. It feels like injustice is being committed against you, but it's actually in your best interest. An absolute lie. The reality is that the Assyrians never cared for those they conquered. We know from history how the Assyrians treated those they conquered, and they didn't give them a complimentary fig tree. Yet how often do do those committing injustice lie to their victims? This is what is best for you. This will benefit you in some way. But all they really want to do is to exploit the other person for their own benefit. My brother-in-law's family had all their money taken by a close family friend who said he was managing their money for their benefit. But the reality is that he was stealing from them. For his benefit. And the teacher who abused my friends claimed he just wanted to help us become better photographers. Friends, that is the thing about these lies that are used to inflict injustice. They are never new, just repackaged. And they all come from the father of lies. Now let's shift our focus to Hezekiah's response to the injustice and to the lies that he is facing, and see what we we can learn. We're going to jump over to chapter 37, verse 9. So I'll give you a second to get there. Now Sennacherib received a report that Tirhaka, a report that Tirhaka, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and you will be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? Now skip with me down to verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of earth. You have made heaven and earth. Let's pause there. The first response Hezekiah has is to praise and worship his God. He just spreads out the letter, the injustice, the threats, and the lies before his God. And then he addresses God by the title, in many translations, Lord of Hosts. Friends, whenever you see God refer to himself as Lord of Hosts, or him being referred to as Lord of Hosts in the Bible, get ready. This is the name God calls himself when he's preparing to bring justice. And Hezekiah then starts to proclaim God's power and glory. In the midst of injustice, King Hezekiah doesn't do something practical militarily or diplomatically. Instead, he praises and worships his God. A dear friend shared with us a story from her life. Many years ago, her husband was off at work in the evening teaching. And that night, a man broke into their home. And he came into her room and he pulled her out of her bed and he began to attack her. And she pleaded and she cried and asked him to stop. But then all of a sudden, in the midst of the attack, she heard a voice whisper to her, Worship me. Just worship me. She said almost as soon as she started singing the hymn Amazing Grace, the man suddenly jumped up and in terror ran out the door. She said the only thing worse that night than the terror that she was experiencing was the tear on that man's face, the absolute horror as he ran out the door. Friends, I cannot help but think the Lord of hosts showed up that night or sent one of his angels. And that is exactly what King Hezekiah does in the face of injustice committed against his people and the coming injustice. He fights his battle by praising and worshiping his God. Let's continue. Verse 17. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words of Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. The second thing King Hezekiah does is plead and cry out to his God. I have shared before about a season in the life of our family when we got into a legal battle over the safety of a little boy in our care. This resulted in a very powerful individual ordering ordering some acts of retribution upon our family that caused us wounds we still carry today. We pleaded with God in that season. It was all we could do. And God brought justice. Not in the way I would have thought or in the timeline I would have chosen. But then again, who am I? He sees all things and delivered justice for the little boy we loved. And he delivered justice for our family. God brought justice. And all we had to do was cry out to him and wait. Wait. And this leads us to the third response of King Hezekiah that he has against the injustice that he is experiencing. Jump down to verse 33 with me. The prophet Isaiah said, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp up against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. The prophet Isaiah tells King Hezekiah, You've praised, you've pleaded and cried out against this injustice to your God. Now you just have to wait. God will bring justice. So King Hezekiah goes all in with his God to bring him justice. He was trusting God and there was no plan B. So what happened? Did God fight their battle for justice? Here's how the story ends. Verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp, withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Friends, God brought justice for his people. This is exactly why the psalmist say repeatedly, Arise, O Lord, and bring justice for your people. And we can say that too. Arise, O Lord, and bring justice. And I'm thinking of the man or the woman who was abused as a child. Arise, O Lord, and I'm thinking of the woman whose husband left her. For another woman. Arise, O Lord, and bring justice. And I'm thinking of whoever you are who's experienced injustice. The Lord, He will bring us justice, and we can cry out to Him just as the psalmist. As we close, be certain of this one thing our God will bring justice. As certain as I'm sitting here, He will bring justice for you. And, friends, some of us need to hear this message. Because we are carrying the crushing burden of believing if we don't bring justice for ourselves, the person who inflicted injustice upon us will simply get away with it. As John Piper says, we feel that just to let it go would be to admit that justice simply won't be done. And we can't do it, so we hold on to the anger. And play the story over and over again with the feelings. It shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. It was wrong. How can he be so happy now when I am so miserable? It is so wrong. It is so, so wrong. Yet when you lay down the burden of avenging injustice committed against you. Be certain of this. God will pick it up as his own. I will repay, says the Lord. It is written, God has spoken. This is our rock-solid assurance, justice will be done. So we trust this promise. And one of the things about Jesus is he never asks us to do something he has not experienced himself. He came down and suffered injustice alongside us. And he, tr- he too entrusted himself to God to bring justice. 1 Peter 2 he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus never asks us to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. But friends, trusting means Waiting. Sometimes we only have to wait a moment, like our friend who was attacked in her home. Sometimes we only have to wait hours, like King Hezekiah. Sometimes we only have to wait months or a year, like our family. But friends, sometimes we have to wait until Jesus returns to judge justly and make all things new. About a month ago, my oldest daughter Sydney and I had the opportunity to go to Rwanda for 10 days. Now, if you know anything about the country of Rwanda, you know that back in 1994, they experienced a horrific genocide. And the suffering and the atrocities are hard to even articulate. But I'll put it in numbers and figures. Close to one million people were slaughtered within the span of 90 days. While the entire trip was impactful for us, it was the last day there that impacted us most. It was a Sunday, and we were going to visit the Nehemiah Genocide Memorial and then go and worship at a local church. The Nehemiah Genocide Memorial was a church that thousands fled to to take refuge during the genocide. But tragically, one night, the killers surrounded that church and massacred over 10,000 people. Part of what makes this memorial is so impactful is that the government has essentially left it untouched. Honestly, I still can't fully talk about all the things we saw in that place. But I just kept thinking when we were there what those people felt like that night as they were surrounded by bloodthirsty killers. Later when we went to church and we were worshiping at the church, the Rwandan national who was with us leaned over and told me, you know the families we are worshiping with are the families of those killed in Nyamata." And some of their killers are here worshiping too now. When we started singing the song Surrounded, which is a song Josh has had us sing here, there's a line in it that says, it may look like I am surrounded, but I am surrounded by you. Honestly, when I heard that, I just remember thinking, how do they sing this song after what has just happened to their family? and then actually with the killers there. And then it hit me, and I just started weeping. These brothers and sisters in Christ were truly trusting God to fight their battle for justice. They had released the need to get their own justice and knew God would deal with injustice done by those who killed their family members, either in this life, on the cross, or for eternity. Friends, as we come to these tables here in a moment, when you are ready, I want to invite you this morning to lay down the burden of injustice committed against you. Worship him, cry out to him, and then wait and trust him. Will you lay it down at his feet this morning and allow him to pick it up for you? I promise you there is freedom and peace when you do. You can trust your God. He is a good, good father. And it is at these tables we remember the greatest injustice ever committed all in all of human history and that it was inflicted upon our Jesus. And it was the just punishment for me, for you, and even for those who have committed injustice against us. Would you come to the table when you're ready? <sighs> friends, If you're ready today to lay down the injustice committed against you and allow your heavenly father who loves you to pick it up and experience the freedom and the peace in doing so, we wanna be with you. We wanna pray with you. So we have friends available in the back prayer room to pray those prayers with you. And friend, if you have experienced injustice and that injustice came with deep wounds that need healing. Can I encourage you to reach out to our people who run Mending the Soul? I personally have experienced healing through Mending the Soul. But I'll end with this and I'll leave you with this. And the words from the prophet Isaiah, the Lord God is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Amen, love you.